Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang, and welcome to Progress After Dark. This is Tell Me Everything, the little show at What the Hell O'Clock, and I'm so glad you're with us. The great Bob Seska is going to be here to break down all the Republican malfeasance, double-talking jive, and rank fuckery we can point to. Uh, also, I'm really excited because the great Adrienne Shropshire is back. She is executive director of Black Pack and the affiliated nonpartisan Black Progressive Action Coalition. She's really a leader in developing model-integrated voter engagement programs that build voter power over multiple election cycles, which is a very grown-up way of saying she knows how to get people to the polls, unlike, I don't know, pro-cannabis rights folks in Oklahoma, but we'll get to that later on in the show. I'm really excited Ms. Shropshire is back. And we got a lot of great interviews coming up. We just taped a dynamite one with uh, Oscar winner F. Murray Abraham yesterday. Hey, everybody, say hello to our executive producer, the lovely and talented Chris Hauselt, running this thing from the South Carolina studios. Hi, Chris. Hello. <laughs> How are you, sir? I don't know why. I always feel compelled to do a Lenny and Squiggy voice whenever you introduce me. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Chris does Hello, so many voices. If you guys don't even know how many voices he does, a lot of times if guests don't show up or if it's a bad Zoom connection, Chris just jumps in. I think about 40% mm -hmm. of our Christoph Waltz interview mm -hmm. is actually Chris filling in for the two-time mm -hmm. Oscar winner. Uh, my family is painfully aware of how many voices I do. That's a gift. It's a gift. Also with us, uh, the gift to us is the great uh, producer, Thea Harper, running this thing from the Brooklyn studios. And of course, my name's Johnny. I'll be here with you as your host and bartender and father confessor all the way till midnight on the East Coast and 9 p.m. on the Pacific. Are you are you worn out from it all? Are you worn out from Tucker Carlson? Are you worn out from the media talking about Tucker Carlson? Are you worn out from Tucker Carlson and Fox News and the Republican Party burning it all down? Because they know they can burn it all down, because they burned it all down with Bush Sr., they burned it all down with Bush Jr., they burned it all down with Trump, and they can be as dishonest and corrupt and incompetent as they need to be because they know they have the solid voting base there. What are they going to do? Go vote for the Right to Life Party? Jesus, that would be smart. You know, if Mike Bloomberg would give like $2 billion, not a lot, just to... Mike Bloomberg could buy Fox News and save the country, but no, 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 Mike Bloomberg gave $2 billion to the National Right to Life Party. Well, there you go. 
there's your third party vote that can definitely draw votes away. Uh, Although the new rumor is, you know, Larry Hogan, Republican governor of Maryland, very anti-Trump. He said he would not run for the Republican nomination for president in 2024. But today he wouldn't rule out running third party. Could he be that much of a patriot? Could a Republican governor run third party? In 2024, if Donald Trump is the nominee, to suck the votes away from Donald Trump, because we already know there's enough conservative people out there who would vote for a viable alternative. Let's do it. Let's 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 do a show. Happy International Women's Day to everyone here in the U.S., which ranks number 15 in women's rights around the world. Could be a lot worse. Uh, And I want to wish a happy International Women's Day to all the Republicans, all the right wing bigots who hijacked this day just so they could promote more cruelty to transgender people. Did you go on social media today? Because every Republican, every right wing, every one of these godless, soulless, anti-labor, anti-environment, anti-democracy Philistines was piggybacking trans hysteria onto International Women's Day. I'm talking Republican women. Republican women like Marjorie Taylor Greene, she shit on trans people today. Marsha Blackburn shit on trans people today. Tulsi Gabbard shit on trans people today. I know, right? Guys, this is International Women's Day, okay? You're you're using that day just to be cruel to trans people, which just makes it just another Wednesday. But I'm not really surprised they would exploit International Women's Day to further the bigotry they are doubling down on to win elections since they have no policies to help the non-millionaires who are suckered into voting for them. This is the party of the war on women. This is the party of mandatory ultrasounds. This is the party of putting women in jail for terminating a pregnancy, something the Bible never forbids. This is the party of targeted regulation of abortion providers, the party of trying to take away birth control, defunding Planned Parenthood, defunding international family planning. This is the party of forcing teenage children to carry and bear their attacker's child if they are the victims of rape. It's the party that opposed the Violence Against Women Act. Remember that? Two years ago, House of Representatives voted 244 to 172 to reinstate the Violence Against Women Act because it lapsed during the last Republican presidential administration. Democrats voted as a block in support of the Violence Against Women Act, which was originally established back in 1994 to investigate and prosecute violent crimes against women and to allow civil redress for those who had not had a day in criminal court. Republicans voted against it, just like they vote against the Fair Pay Act. And today, to celebrate International Women's Day, brand spanking new female governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is only 40. If you want to feel good about how you're not rotting from the inside out, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is rolled back child labor protections by signing a law to remove the age verification process for children entering the workforce. In other words, parts of the Arkansas labor market are back to the 1800s. That's how they spent International Women's Day. So if you'll indulge me as a nervous male, let me talk a little bit about the day. Because International Women's Day, as we know it, began in 1911, celebrated in Austria, Denmark, Germany, and Switzerland on March 19th by over a million people. Uh, Official events in the inaugural celebration were all about women's right to vote in 1911, women's right to work, women's right to hold public office, and ridiculing discrimination. 
And less than a week after the first International Women's Day, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire took the lives of over 140 women who were working in unsafe conditions in New York City. And that terrible disaster raised crucial awareness of labor laws in the U.S. In 1913, they moved the date to March 8th, and it has been celebrated across the globe every March 8th over the last 110 years. It's not a, it's not a group or organization specifically. There's not operated by any one government or NGO or school or network. Purple is the signature color for International Women's Day. It's said that purple symbolizes justice and dignity. It's really a combination of purple, green, and white, which in history represented the push for women's equality. Going back to the Women's Social and Political Union in Britain in the early 1900s, uh, green signified the virtue of hope, and white, back then, signified purity. And there's many ways it's celebrated. Here in U.S., it's the, it's the highlight of Women's History Month which was officially designated so by Congress in uh, 1987. The theme this year for International Women's Day is not going to be popular in Republican circles, and that's why they're talking about being shitty to trans people, but it's embrace equity. You know, demanding that both men and women support balanced outcomes that are equitable to both men and women. To educate individuals on the differences between equality and equity. They say uh, the IWD 2023 Embrace Equity campaign theme seeks to get the world talking about why equal opportunities are no longer enough and can, in fact, be exclusionary rather than inclusive, they say on their website. A lot of countries celebrate it. It's celebrated all across the country here, but around the world. I mean, we don't celebrate this as an official holiday, but it is in 19 other countries, including Russia, Ukraine, Armenia, Cuba, China. Germany, Moldova, Afghanistan. How's that for irony? Afghanistan recognizes it as an official holiday. We don't. I don't think Afghanistan recognizes women as official people anymore. In 1917, the celebration of Women's Day in Russia helped get them the right to vote. Women went on strike for bread and peace to protest World War I and to campaign for gender equality. And the czar was furious, and he authorized the uh, Petrograd military district to shoot any woman who refused to stand down. And they did not back down, and the protests remained, and it led to the departure of the czar. That's what women did on this day in Russia. Now, why do we have it? Well, we have it for many reasons. The number one reason why we still celebrate International Women's Day, and I'm saying this to all the trolls on social media who are complaining, why there's not an International Men's Day? Oh, the mediocrity of small dick energy. Why is it International Men's Day? Because we need an International Women's Day. Globally, nearly one in three women have experienced violence. It's a global pandemic. Almost one in three. That's 736 million women over the age of 15 across this earth have experienced intimate partner violence or non-partner sexual violence at least once in their lifetime. 736 million women above the age of 15. More than one in four women have suffered violence at the hands of their partners. We have this day because the gap in labor force participation rate between women and men has not narrowed in most regions over the last three decades. Across the earth, about half the working age women participate in the labor force. That's a lot lower than the male labor force participation rate of around 80%. And and that's okay, but it, the gap is unchanged from where it was 30 years ago, and women still face inferior income opportunities and, on average, across the board, earn less than men. 
You know the proportion of people in the top 1% incomes over a quarter million dollars who are women? One in four. And across the world, more than one in five women have been child brides. I'm going to say that again. More than one in five women on this earth were first married before the age of 18. It's most prevalent in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. Here's a great one I got from a Canadian news website. Uh, The average annual total compensation of the top CEOs, the top 100 CEOs named Mark, the top 100 CEOs whose names happen to be Mark, their annual total top compensation, $15,900,000. The average annual total compensation of a top 100 female CEO in Canada, 12 million. You get why we need the day? Economic growth of society is directly proportional to how educated women and girls are. This is true in every society across the board. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your religion. The economic growth of the world is directly tied to the increasing percentage of educated women. In over 34 countries, it has been proven that the education of girls and women results in 50% economic growth. It's good for you, you stupid freaking men. And girls are more likely to die due to child marriage. And we have to talk about it because studies have proven that girls are at a higher risk of dying early due to early marriage and childbirth. They're at a higher risk of dying due to early marriage and childbirth than they're at a risk of dying young due to wars, famines, and other natural disasters. Maternal mortality is the second leading cause of death among girls between the ages of 15 and 19 globally. I'm going to say that again. Maternal mortality is the second leading cause of death among girls between the ages of 15 and 19. And according to data from 2009, over 60 million girls are forced into child marriage every year. A woman is said to die due to complications during childbirth every 90 seconds. And these women who die due to complications from childbirth every 90 seconds are generally underage and undereducated. And that's by design. It's a human rights violation, child marriage. It undermines all the future economic opportunities for women and girls. It it certainly limits child brides' access to education. It reduces the money they're going to make in the future. It's dangerous for their health. It puts them at a heightened risk of domestic violence. So I'm also celebrating because as of yesterday in our country, Jennifer McClellan, former Virginia State Senator, just became the first black woman to represent Virginia in the U.S. Congress just happened yesterday. That means there are now 28 black women serving in the U.S. Congress. Across both the House and Senate chambers, women make up about 28% of all members. So, happy International Women's Day. And you know what? I guess I I owe Sarah Huckabee Sanders an apology. Her being as awful and cruel and anti-woman and corrosive as Trump, it just shows women are achieving equality in all kinds of ways. We want to know what you guys think. And just in case you're wondering tonight, Tucker Carlson will not be spared. Uh, Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Dennis calling from the great state of Arizona. Hi, Dennis. Thank you and welcome. Hi. Hi. Uh, I've been thinking about this Tucker Carlson and Fox News. You know, I don't know if this is if it's if they're going to take it to trial or they're going to try to settle or whatever. But the main thing that I, I. Somebody has to get in front of those cameras and tell the people that they lied 
and they have to say it over and over again. That's not going to happen. I mean, they I, won't do it. They won't. Tucker will be fired before that happens. Rupert will right. Rupert will announce that Tucker's gone before they fired Bill O'Reilly for beating up women. It right. took a long time. I, I said, right. I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what if if there's any, you know, licensing you know, rules or anything like that. But if, if there's some way, if some, somehow we have to get the people who will never hear what's going on in this case, they have to. I, I, they may never believe it. I, I'm not making sure, but, but they have to hear it. No, least, you're right. I mean, at least and at least start thinking about it. But I mean, how, 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 how will Fox News viewers ever hear the news that they were all lied to by the entire primetime lineup? They watch Fox News. They're never going to be told this information. They tried to buy ads on Fox News. A Democratic PAC tried to buy ads on Fox News so the viewers would know in commercial breaks that they'd all been lied to, and Fox rejected the ad. Right, exactly. I, I know I said, but I, I said, I'm not a lawyer or, or familiar with it, but I just, don't know when the settlement comes, if a judge or if any, there's any kind of way to say that, okay, if you want to stay on the air, you're going to have to tell the people what happened, you know, so I don't know. That, that I may be wrong. You, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. There's no way they're going to do it or what, and they'll, you know, says, you know. I mean, I think you're, I, I think you could be right, Dennis. Fox News put out a statement yesterday, and they accused Dominion of, I'm going to quote Fox, they said, um, a PR campaign to smear Fox News and to trample on free speech and freedom of the press. We already know they will say and do anything to try to win this case, but to twist and even misattribute quotes to the highest levels of our company is truly beyond the pale. And Dominion responded by releasing more text messages last night. And now we know that two days before January 6th, Tucker Carlson was privately saying he hated Donald Trump passionately. They all knew they were lying, all of them. Right. So I, I, I said, I, I said, I don't believe it. It's going to change a lot of minds, but at least they, I was hoping they'd at least hear it and maybe they'll at least think about it a little bit. I don't know, but I, it just, it just bothers me. He said, does, you know, they can, they can get, you know, a settlement of billions of dollars and everything, but they're going to have plenty of money to cover that and all. Exactly. Stuff. And I, the, the biggest part of the problem is I want to, to make some inroads with some of these people to at least start thinking about it. Well, I, I think you're right. And I do think that maybe, you know, there's there's some wisdom to be found in thinking that if Rupert Murdoch eventually had to fire Bill O'Reilly after all the sexual harassment, I mean, they spent millions buying the silence of women. But after there were all the revelations about Bill beating up women or accusations, credible accusations of Bill beating up women, that's when they finally cut him loose. Tucker talking about this audience he's built. He inherited Bill O'Reilly's audience, this little petulant right, millionaire right. at birth, right. baby fascist, it's lipless. Made, I don't know, you know, there's maybe. Yeah, there may be also a way, you know, all the fees that get charged to, to have Fox, you know, a lot of people who don't want to watch Fox have to pay for Fox. Maybe I know. a way to get, get those fees taken away that where they make a lot of money. So, it would be great, but know. you know, but you know, Fox makes a lot of money. I mean, right. telling telling white people, telling right-wing white people what they want right. to hear, no matter how wrong it is. Right. I mean, Fox News is the. I think Fox News is the number one reason Bush was able to get away with the Iraq War because they had Hannity right. on every night attacking the patriotism right. of anyone who said it was uh, not a good idea. Absolutely, and I said, and plus, I said the cable companies won't do it because they know that they, you know, their people want, are not going to subscribe if they can't get their Fox. So I know. Oh, I know. It's true. 
We'll see how it plays out, Dennis. I mean, most likely the story just goes away. But wow, Tucker is really making it worse. This is all Tucker trying to air this footage as a misdirect so no one reads the headlines about his his text messages. And I thought it was brilliant that on his second night of doing this, Dominion just releases more text messages and no one on Fox News was covering Tucker's story. They released yesterday that his producers put out a global email to everyone saying, hey, we're covering this tonight. Please tease it on your shows. And no other shows promoted it. They are treating Tucker and his show like they are dipped in a urine sample. It's going to be very interesting seeing how this plays out. All right. Well, I just had to get it off because it just bothers me so much that the the people who need to hear it aren't, aren't hearing it. And it just really bothers me. I'm with you, man. Thank you so much for calling, and God bless Arizona. Hey, it's Sean in Cali. What's up, Sean? Hey, Brother Will. You know, happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day, man to man. Hey, and they are the most important people on this planet, in my opinion, for multiple reasons. Yep. But I was just talking to Thea, and, you know, I said, you know, I, you know, I had a daughter when Hillary lost, and we waited up all night. She fell asleep. She was very young. I really wanted to have the first woman president. And, and, you know, and then it dawned on me, you know, recently, you know, if women had been in power throughout history, and they have been in power at different times, different continents, blah, 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 but not overall, you know what they would have never have done? Pointed atomic weapons at ourselves. I agree. Think about I agree. that for a second. Women would never have made that stupid decision. I'm not convinced uh, women would have... I don't, I don't think women would have dropped atomic weapons on civilian targets. Like, our country, still the only country to have done that so far. I, I, I would have to agree with you. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And, and, like, you know, especially, you know, black women in our country, they have to overachieve, overperform... They have to do things that um, are out out of the sphere of everyone else. If they go into an interview, if they yeah. are trying to get a promotion, and and it's you know it's ridiculous because black women continue to achieve. They continue to move us forward as in humanity, uh, especially in this country. And uh, you know I want them to be in power a lot more. And, and so I hope that they continue to run for office. I hope that they're never, which I doubt they'll ever be, they'll never stand down and be, you know, apathetic to the point of giving up because it's yeah. not in their nature. They always right. are going to do the best they can for all of us. Yes, they will, except, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Sarah Huckabee Stannis. Sean, thank you so much for calling, man. It's great to hear from you. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of your calls and the great Bob Seska. We're at 866-997-4748. Remember, Tucker Carlson lies to his audience for money, and that's not an opinion. Kind of get used to how it feels in your brain. It's not going away. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back get comfortable carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you i could stay here forever carvana where car buying meets comfort meets convenience download the app or visit carvana.com today Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back. By the way, a uh, little aside to Sean in California, our last caller before the break. You know, I, I know it gets depressing sometimes on International Women's Day to think about all the misogyny. But next time you feel like the American people are never going to elect a woman president, just remember, the American people already did elect a woman president in 2016. An electoral college that was demanded by dead slave owners who didn't want to count their human property as real people. They're the reason why the woman the American people picked did not get to be the president. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. Let's keep this Dominion thing going. Bob Seska is with us right now, and I've been dying to talk to him about this. You guys know Mr. Seska from the Stephanie Miller Show, his great columns at Salon or the Daily Banter. This guy is always right on. Mr. Seska, thank you for joining us on another Wednesday. Good evening. Thank you so much, John. It's great to be here. This thing is just, you know, uh, continuing the Dominion story. I don't really think it's going to go away anytime soon. I I was just saying before the break (laughs) that one of the most remarkable things about the whole story for me, and there are many, many uh, angles to this, is that no other shows on Fox chose to promote Tucker's exclusive January 6th footage that proves these were just tourists who really respect and re- they really revere our capital. Did you know that? You, they, they, you can just hear you <laughs> can just hear his lips. You can hear his lips and chin becoming one smooth piece of skin. It's the Tucker Carlson's baffled bitch face. They people clearly revere our capital. Um, no one else on Fox promoted it, Bob. And to me, that's no. the most valuable tell here. Yeah. And there's this weird confluence right now of both the January 6th video, which Tucker Carlson has in his possession, 40,000, what is it, 44,000 hours of video? How do you get, first of all, how do you get 44,000 hours of video? from an afternoon long event it's it, that that's just incredible to me well that's there, I mean, that's there's, a, there's a lot of video a lot of cameras a lot a lot, a of, lot of cameras yeah yeah that's what and, i mean and how do you and, how do you distill forty four thousand hours of footage into 20 minutes and say case closed <laughs> right right well at the same time having to fight back or push back against uh these depositions and emails and text messages showing that everyone on fox news is a great big liar especially Tucker Carlson, who is the most duplicitous of all of them. At least Hannity tries to maintain some sort of pro-Trump posture off the air. But Tucker Mm. Carlson, oh, my God. And then, um, obviously, the uh, I hate him passionately quote is the thing that is going to be like the first sentence of Tucker Carlson's obituary one day. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, you're right. Even Melania, even Melania doesn't hate him passionately. You know, like that's (laughs) you can tell he thinks about this man a lot in the wee hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, that I'm curious to know how he's going to wiggle out of that. And I'm not sure if he's responded to it tonight. He's doesn't tonight have would to have been his first what, what do you mean wiggle out of it? Like you, you think Tucker's viewers are ever going to know he said that? Well, I, I think eventually he's going to have to address it because he, it's not just those of us on the normal side of the ledger 
making a big deal about this. Uh, who's, Tucker, who's, I mean, uh, uh, who's Steve gonna ask Bannon. Him? Who's going to ask him, Bob? I mean, who literally like, is he going to go on some show that's not completely friendly and sympathetic to him? That's going to ask him a tough question. I mean, this guy lives in a in a bubble. He is one of the lords of the bubble. And remember, this is Tucker Carlson, who tried his whole career to be taken seriously as a journalist and then realized yeah. you can't be a serious journalist and be a Republican celebrity at the same time and decided the Daily Caller was going to be another sewer. I mean, he he's chosen this. This is dancing with the stars, dude. He's not going to risk saying anything unpopular ever. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the wisdom in that. I, I just don't know that that's going to be the case because I think he's going to be pressured by his own people. I'm not talking no, about I Fox so. News. I'm talking about people like Steve Bannon. Mm. I'm shocked. I, I didn't see anything come down on Truth Social today from Donald Trump. Talk, but he can't. it seems he to can't. me as if that was... He can't. Was, Trump was needs Tucker. Tucker needs. This is the cult of selfishness. But, but, but Bob. Trump spent his Trump spent a portion of his CPAC address, and also Steve Bannon took a portion of his CPAC address to rip Fox News to shreds. Sure, sure. This, Fox yeah. News is a is a, a brand new uh, toy for people like Donald Trump and Steve Bannon to bat around. And yeah. uh, but that's Rupert. I, I don't. That's Rupert. That, that they're they're saying fuck you to Murdoch, but they're not going to say fuck you to Tucker Carlson's audience. They can't do it. They can't. They're all cowards. And this is a cult of selfishness. All of them only yeah, care yeah. about themselves. Hear, hear me out, Mr. Seska. You're smarter than me, but I, I've been forced to think <laughs> about this a lot. Kevin McCarthy did this for himself mm-hmm. to try to get more popular with a caucus that doesn't care for him too much. Tucker Carlson did this for himself because what a grand misdirect away from all the stories about his text messages. I love that on the second night of him airing this footage, this whitewashed footage that Dominion released even more damning texts. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, yeah. all of it is just in service of the self. And so is Trump. If Trump thought it would help him to attack Tucker Carlson by name, he would. But I don't see any way that does help him. Well, I, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who uh, tolerates someone who, who has said that they hate him passionately. And, and I guess, you know what? You know, here's my mistake, John, because uh, I'm thinking in terms of of what what would happen on the left or. Uh, I or what would happen with men? What, You're thinking what of what happen? if actual men had dealings with each other, not these miserable <laughs> yeah. little spineless fascists. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Yes, point taken. But yeah, imagine if we uh, saw deposition transcripts or a text message or something like that of Rachel Maddow saying, I hate Barack Obama passionately or I hate Hillary Clinton passionately. I yeah. think I, I think she would be compelled to respond to that, totally. to somehow clarify that. Totally. Uh, but then again, you, we are I, we're talking about Fox News, which is all about duplicity, which is and all the about Republican Party televised fraud. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but I'm seeing cracks in that facade, at least when it comes to Fox News Channel. And so that's yes, why but I mean. not because of, not because not because of accountability. I'm so sorry. I love everything you're saying. But on the Democratic side, they would drive Rachel Maddow off the air if she did it the same way they drive yeah. out anyone who's been accused of any kind of sexual misconduct before there's even an investigation. The Dems eject them. The Republicans reelect them. So I, 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 I think it's just a completely different species. The Republicans would never kick anyone out because they did something wrong. They would only kick them out when something they did wrong made them look bad. Yeah, you know what? I guess I'm thinking more in terms of how Donald Trump might react <laughs> to uh, Fair enough. some <laughs> some transcript like this, because Donald Trump, if it were Donald Trump who said, I hate so and so passionately, 
uh, in the confines of uh, court deposition or whatever. You're so right. Donald Trump would, of course, respond to that and somehow try to wiggle out of it, making the situation worse, calling more attention to it. And I guess Tucker Carlson might be too smart. I don't know to to take the bait on that. I'm just I'm trying to figure out uh exactly what the calculus is happening inside the tucker carlson show uh, over the past 24 hours yeah and and the the whole the whole party too mr seska i mean think about it the democrats kept they kept january 6th in the air all last year they had that committee all summer all fall they kept it going they stretched it out as long as they possibly could and then republicans win in the midterms i expected this story to go away to never come back again because it is a real political vulnerability for the GOP. Instead, instead, here's Tucker bringing you wall-to-wall coverage and making sure we're all talking about what really happened on that day. I mean, I I don't even understand these guys anymore. Yeah, this is uh, complete madness from a a number of different perspectives. Obviously, it's an insult to law enforcement, uh, which is contradictory to everything that Fox News appears to stand for. And they don't stand for anything. They stand for what uh, Rupert Murdoch said in that deposition. It's not red or blue. It's all about green. That's what Fox News stands for. That's it. yeah, yeah. So uh, appropriately, they're going to do whatever is best for them uh, from a business perspective. <laughs> that's entirely it. From a ratings revenue perspective, that's what they're going to do. So, uh, yeah, th- with the right. Dominion. Yeah. With the Dominion footage, Tucker is going to milk that for a while uh, until yes. he gets bored with it. But there's nothing there. There's just there's it's just one of those things, John, where. They find something that maybe they could spin as being wrong, but which actually isn't wrong. This has happened a gazillion times. We see it with Donald Trump all the time where they take I like the one example that Tucker Carlson aired was the Josh Hawley uh, running through the hallways footage yeah. where they said, yeah. well, there was a bunch of lawmakers running ahead of him. So therefore, his duplicity is I fine. I, I don't know. understand logic well yeah and we have to then that, but then it falls to us to come out and say okay well the reason why that's special is the other lawmakers yeah. running through the hallway weren't giving fist bumps to the terrorists exactly. outside the capitol right before they right. ran away like a little bitch and that's right. the that's the little bitch line and josh hawley crossed it if you're gonna fist pump these these terrorists and then run away you've crossed the little bitch line and that's why you're running as extra special it's exactly what Tucker Carlson has done with Donald yeah. Trump <laughs> in public. Donald Trump, I love your character. You're a great guy. Let's go hang out at the golf tournament together. And yeah, he's oh, my God, there's no one funnier than Donald Trump. This is uh, talking, uh, uh, not talking points, but uh, Turning Point USA video that Charlie Kirk posted earlier today of Tucker Carlson on stage, just effusively praising Donald Trump. That so is the, the the fist in the air, Josh Hawley photo equivalent, right? You're and right. And then as soon as he's behind closed doors, Josh Hawley's running. Tucker Carlson saying, I hate him passionately. When when can we stop talking about Donald Trump? Gee, I hope it's by February. I mean, this is it's all part of the same mechanism. It's all the same duplicity. It's one thing for the yokels and the gomers on television, and it's another thing entirely behind closed doors. This is not just how Fox News operates. This is the entire far-right movement at this point, or the entire Republican movement, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, they just, they're not grounded in anything substantive anymore. 
and uh, everything is now about um, tr- tr- tricking their own audience, deceiving their own uh, own audience. And that's I mean, that's the madness. Right. Of, it's their own people who are the victims of this. Mehdi Hassan had a great uh, picture he tweeted yesterday showing, you know, Tucker on Trump in a text January 4, 2021. I hate him passionately. And then he showed a picture of Tucker and Trump at a golf course in July of 2022, five months later, and Tucker's just laughing and clowning around. I mean, but isn't it true, though, Bob? You know, my whole thing is this might help encourage Democratic turnout. But I just don't think at the end of the day, you know, your uncle racist and your aunt dead inside who watch Tucker every night trying not to (laughs) drool on the clicker are ever going to hear this. And if they do hear it, they're going to call it fake news. Well, it it depends. It's a cult. I I, but I go I go back to Steve Bannon, one of the standard bearers. Steve Bannon's podcast is a top 10 podcast in news and politics on all the platforms. So people are listening to Steve Bannon. People are listening to Donald Trump. And both of them have been going after Fox News. I think the people who watch Fox News, I mean, this is first of all, just from the bigger picture. I love the idea that everything is now getting factionalized and there are cracks forming in this yes. overall Republican movement. But at the same time, it's it's one of those things where um, I, I believe that the word is going to get out about what's happening with these depositions and text messages and emails. People are going to start to hear about that because, I mean, I'd be shocked. I, and again, I haven't reviewed the shows today. But I would be shocked if the entire Red Hat Entertainment Complex, especially the podcast, weren't loaded with talking about whatever Steve Bannon was saying, whatever Donald Trump was saying about Fox News, and maybe even discussing what was happening with those uh, Dominion filings. I I would be shocked. You you, you think they're going to be talking about Dominion filings? I'll tell you what they're going to be talking about. What's a woman, Bob? Can you find a woman for me? Tell me what a woman is, Bob. It's International Women's Day. What's a woman, Bob? That's all they're going to talk about. They're not going to talk about this greasy, evil motherfucking shit they do. They're going to try and keep Uncle Racist and Aunt Deadside angry about trans people. That's Mm -hmm. all they have to offer. I do have to ask you, Mr. Seska, you brought up Steve Bannon. If you had seen that festering pustule of a man exchanging texts with Maria Bartiromo, a person I used to work with. I've hosted shows with Maria Bartiromo on stage before, coaching her saying they want her to run for Senate against Schumer and and watching her say, I'm not going to let my (laughs) staff call Biden president-elect. I never thought I would see a woman I had worked with at CNBC, I'm choosing my words carefully here, colluding with a felon to overthrow democracy. Maria yeah. Bartiromo will never face any consequences for what she did. And I, I don't think Tucker will either. I think maybe Tucker, he's the one most likely to do it. He's making the biggest headaches for Uncle Rupert. But did you happen to see Bartiromo and Steve Bannon? I mean, my God, there's no line of division between Fox News and state. Oh, no, certainly not. And uh, the source that Maria Bartiromo, by the way, was using for her election denial, for her uh, aspect, her her part in the big lie. This uh, woman named Marlene Bourne, I think is the yes. name, this crazy email about this woman who was talking about how Scalia was murdered oh, on yeah. a hunting expedition where they were hunting other people and yes. that she was somehow internally decapitated and the Freedom wind on, speaks yes. to her. 
Yeah, this was this was Maria Bartiromo's source for Dominion voting systems information and obviously passed along to Maria Bartiromo from Sidney Powell. So this mm-hmm. is this is the madness that's happening over there. And uh, and I, I just it would be amazing to me to see Maria Bartiromo run for office. I have yeah. no idea. I'm just now hearing about it. you're just informing me for the first time. I had it's no idea. That was yeah. thing. At one point, at one point, she's getting all upset and Bannon is texting her. Stay in this. We need you to stay. Stay level. We need you to run against Schumer. I mean, it, if you're a celebrity, it's it's Carrie Lake, Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz. Oh, you're famous. You can be oh, a Republican. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I, I would be political tourism. Yeah, oh, I, I should also ask you about another Republican friend of mine, um, Michael Knowles, who, you know, I've known mm. Michael was a deeply false Christian for a while, uh, and I've debated him many times on the Bible. He hasn't read much of it, um, but even mm. I was shocked to actually see him come and and say we have to eradicate transgenderism then he adds as an ideology i don't understand how that's any different than eradicate transgender people i I mean it's like isn't that like saying we have to eradicate judaism but not the jews like like what does that mean yeah racism as another ism is a a belief system it's a worldview transgenderism is how you live yourself, how you perceive your own being, how you perceive your own gender. It's not about forcing other people to change their gender or saying that they're subhuman somehow, or it's not a philosophy of, of, of attack or uh, trying to, to gather all people into one singular movement in any way, shape or form. But now, for obviously myriad reasons, and and we see a lot of these people who they're driven by the need to frighten their audience. If they frighten their audience, their audience will react in a certain way, and that'll generate obviously more revenue and traffic and social media engagement and all the rest of it. Trans kids are going to groom your children to be communist snowflakes. Yeah. So it's like Laura Ingram last night on her show, and this is a direct quote from Laura Ingram. The creep of transgenderism will eventually come for you. What the hell does that even mean? Does that mean are, are, are they saying somehow transgenderism is a disease or something that is infectious that somehow I don't understand what that even is. And well, I mean, I, that's I, I what do. they're telling their people. On, on the surface, she's making a comment about how they're going to force you to be considerate and respectful and kind to people that frighten you. But really what she's doing is outing herself as a fascist, because this is yeah. fascism 101. Find a marginalized group that has no power and tell the majority that they are in, under siege by this marginalized group, whether it's undocumented immigrants, whether it's Jews, whether it's Muslims, whether it's transgender children, they're coming for you, you are mm-hmm. at risk, and I'm the one who can protect you. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's their game. And the context for Laura Ingram saying this was the ongoing trope, the thing that Matt Walsh, uh, Michael Knowles' colleague at The Daily oh, Wire, yes has also been dealing in, which is this whole idea that, oh, my God, all the children are getting mutilated now under the banner of transgenderism. This whole mutation of what is actually going on is just one of the most repulsive things I've ever heard from uh, from from the right. And it's so counterfactual 
where what they're not telling their audience, what Laura Ingram isn't telling her audience, what Michael Knowles isn't telling his audience and Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and all the rest. What they're not saying is that one, you absolute if you're a minor, you absolutely need parental permission, parental consent before you get gender affirming care. By the way, yes. what 13 year old has the money in our healthcare system to be able to walk into a hospital and get ge- uh, get gender reassignment surgery, Correct. get bottom surgery or something? It just doesn't happen. Plus, you have to be diagnosed if you're underage, under the age of 18. You have to be diagnosed by physicians as having gender dysphoria. These are qualifications in order for you to do it. And even even that at context, I think between uh, 2019 and or I want to say 2017 and 2021, I think there were only something like 50 uh, 50 minors who had some form of of gender reassignment surgery. Yeah. It's yeah. just like nothing. It just doesn't happen. And mm. so this is the big lie. And this is, we've gone beyond uh, just attacking black people, attacking women, attacking immigrants. It's anyone who's not a white Christian straight person who is suddenly the monster that's going to that's devour right. you. It's coming yes. for you. The creep of transgenderism is yeah, going stand to back or I'll call you, you woke. You <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bob Seska, you are consistently the smartest guy in class. By the way, we already have legal genital mutilation. It's called circumcision. Your religion recommends you it. How do we follow mm-hmm. you, Bob? How do our listeners keep up with your doings? Uh, you can follow my podcast at bobseskashow.com and Instagram, the Bob Seska is my handle there. Thank uh, you Bob, so much. I was Sean. all hopped up tonight. I'm sorry for being jumping on your words. Thank you so much for joining us. You, you bring me back down off the ledge. We will be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying We are at 866-997-4748. Taking your calls all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific, 866-997-GRIT. This week, we commemorate the 58-year anniversary of 600 brave souls marching in Selma, Alabama, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, a bridge that I have walked on, a bridge named for a white supremacist, People who faced physical abuse to secure one of our most sacred freedoms, the freedom to vote. It was very inspiring to see the president and luminous, uh, numerous dignitaries there celebrating the anniversary. And I thought it was interesting. A new USA Today Ipsos poll just came out that I think is kind of telling to uh, where we're at in terms of awareness of institutionalized racism. Uh, It found that 56 percent of Americans 
uh, say the term woke means to be informed, educated on, and aware of social injustices. 56%. I mean, that's almost exactly verbatim what Ron DeSantis' counsel told a judge in Florida what woke means. I would have guessed lower than 56%. 39% of Americans, however, believe it means to be overly politically correct and to police others' words. That's not what woke means. That's never what woke has meant. When African-Americans coined the term, it meant nothing like that. And I don't actually think people really believe it means that either. It's become a code for, well, you know what. But with 56% of Americans saying it means to be informed, educated on, and aware of social injustices, and only 39% towing the Ron DeSantis line, that talking point may be seeing the end of the road very soon. I hope so. I am so pleased to welcome our next guest back to our show. Adrian Schopschreier is executive director of Black Pack and the affiliated nonpartisan Black Progressive Action Coalition. She is a leader in developing model integrated voter engagement programs. In other words, she gets people off the couch and gets them to vote. She founded Black Pack with Black Progressive leaders across the country in 2016 to develop a sustainable infrastructure for Black political engagement. She oversees Black PAC's research, political strategy, coordinating with grassroots community organizations in states around the country on electoral and issue-based campaigns in black communities and with allied communities. She is a true public servant who fights for democracy. It's a great pleasure to welcome Adrienne Shropshire back to Sirius XM. Hi, John. Thank you for having me back. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. And happy International Women's Day to you. Well, thank you. And so, so I realized I, re, I, I remembered that this morning and then the day has been so hectic and busy as almost every day is these days. And then mm-hmm. you just reminded me again. So thank you. It's, it's a it's a special day and it's a day that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders chose to use the day to roll back child labor protections going back to the 1800s. So irony is still uh, yeah. neck and neck with hypocrisy in this in this country. Um, and, and happy anniversary, by the way, of, uh, of of Selma. I do say happy anniversary. It was an awful day, but so much good yeah. came from the sacrifice of brave Americans that day. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it definitely, um, you know, it, it, um, I was not there, um, but right. watching the coverage, it really was, it's, it's sort of an odd juxtaposition in that it is a celebration, right, in terms of um, what happened as a result um, of that brutality and that violence, um, the transformative change that we saw um, in the country. Um, and at the same time, it is um, bittersweet, right, in the yes. celebration in that we're still seeing um, the same kinds of attempts to block Black Americans um, access to the ballot box, right? Uh, attempts across the country, hundreds of bills right now, right? Uh, attempting to suppress the vote, specifically targeting um, Black communities. And so, That's right. you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Make it a little harder to vote here. Make it a little harder to vote there. It's democracy's death by a thousand cuts, be it you can't give water to someone on this line or or you have to show a photo ID, even though I've read the Constitution. It doesn't say you need a photo ID to exercise any of our rights, but you're exactly mm-hmm. right. And, you know, props to Joe Biden for for backing, changing the Senate rules to enable passage of voting rights legislation. And I know that it's it's mansion and cinema who we should blame, along with the entire Republican caucus, for keeping voting rights from being made sacred in this country. And of course, it's the Roberts Supreme Court. It's This year will mark 10 years since they gutted the Voting Rights Act. 
But I'm curious, you know, a lot of folks feel that this president is not using the megaphone as effectively or as aggressively to pressure people in his own party about this issue. How, How do you judge the president at this point on voting rights? Well, I mean, I think that the what you just described um, uh, is sort of the state of affairs, right? Um, as as it were, um, you have a uh, Republican um, Senate caucus uh, that was obstructionist in the passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Yes. Um, you now have a Republican House that in no way, shape or form will even consider it. Um, you know, um, in contrast, you have uh, the president um, signing an executive order, um, you know, uh, the promoting access to voting executive order that uh, essentially, um, you know, uh, said that federal agencies have to find ways to um, uh, provide voter registration access um, for citizens. You have, uh, you know, the vice president, um, you know, out talking about voting rights and the importance of voting rights. You have Democratic secretaries of state um, across the country who are doing everything that they can to expand voting rights. they have an opportunity. You know, I don't know that it is that the the president and the, the vice president aren't using the Billy pulpit enough. You think about the rallies that they did uh, in Georgia last year that were specifically about voting rights. I mean, I think I felt like they were, you know, they, they probably should have gotten an honorary, you know, residency in Georgia yeah. as many times yeah. as they held a rally um, <laughs> down there last year. But I, you know, I think that there there are um obstructionists um, across our country. And I, you know, it's heartbreaking to realize um, that the fight to secure voting rights uh, for black Americans is, you know, this eternal struggle um, that there are forces in this country that are generationally committed to ensuring that black Americans never obtain full citizenship. Um, And so when you just think about what, you know, your description of going back to the, you know, the Roberts court and the the Shelby decision, we really have to think about it in a much broader context, right? From, um, you know, from the passing and the ratification of the 15th amendment, right? To the sort of hundred years of darkness that was Jim Crow, right? The passing of the Voting Rights Act, which, you know, certainly made folks think that, you know, we we are on a path to, um, you know, fulfilling the the vision of, of the Constitution. Um, Barack Obama gets elected and black turnout surpasses white turnout for the first time in history. And then we get a campaign to end the Voting Rights Act, right? Then we right. get voter suppression laws across the country. So I think that the president understands the, the stakes and the magnitude um, of what is happening. And the reality is that we will get voting rights legislation um, when we get uh, champions for voting rights um, in Congress. Uh, we'll get it at You're the right. federal level. And until then, it'll be a fight in the states. You know, I want to talk to you about what the Democrats can do to increase their outreach. But but and that's your specialty. But I, I have to ask you about the governor of Florida, because Donald Trump's racism is very well documented going back almost 50 years. to so the first time he was ever mentioned in the New York Times when he was sued by the Nixon Justice Department for racist mm-hmm. housing practices. You you got to be really racist to have Nixon think you're too racist, by the way. But DeSantis, <laughs> who is, you know, arguably the other front runner, this guy just eliminated a voting district that was 40 percent black. 
all those people had to vote in four other different majority white districts they were absorbed to, and they lost their African-American congressman. That representation was completely taken away. These book bannings or book reviews he's having are exclusively for books about people of color or LGBT people. He has mm-hmm. really bet the farm on weaponizing the anti-racism term woke against anti-racism mm-hmm. itself. And now with literally, literally targeting the teaching of AP African-American history, literally, like we already knew they were trying to erase the history, but now they've even taken away the metaphor. Isn't, is not is it false confidence to assume that this is turning off a lot of voters? Is it false confidence to assume that this is going to just engage African-American voters even more and turn off young people even more? Well, I think that one of the things that, um, you know, has been very clear and that black communities and black voters has, have demonstrated over the last several election cycles is that the more you pile on, um, the more people push back. Right. And so when yeah. we think about the ways in which black voters have shown up, despite tremendous odds, right, um, to to really, um, you know, uh, show record numbers in terms of participation. And even when we think about the protests of 2020, that was also a way, right, for people to really sort of say that they were not with uh, you know, the direction um, of the country. And I think that the the um, the the data point that you gave about 56 percent um, of, of, of people understanding what the actual meaning of woke is, you know, is is an indicator that most of the country, you know, is not. I mean, we can just look back to, to 2020 and even um, 2022. Most of the country is not is not with um, you know, the, the sort of, um, scapegoating and bigotry, um, and, you know, translating that rhetoric that you're right, uh, racist and, and bigoted, uh, rhetoric into policy. So yes, the banning of books, the gerrymandering of districts, the erasure of history, right. The taking over of black cities. When we see what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi, oh so my God, yes. Florida for a second, right. Yes. Um, but it's also important to remember that the taking over of black cities didn't start in Jackson, Mississippi. When we think about Michigan um, in the early aughts, right, when there were emergency manager cities um, across uh, the state, um, where the state was essentially um, taking away the elected um, representation of black cities across the state of Michigan and replacing them with these emergency managers. Um, so when we think about this, this, you know, disenfranchisement, we don't we can we need to understand patterns. <laughs> um, and, you know, I also think that we need to stop using, you know, the sort of benign names, right, for calling a thing a thing. We need to stop referencing it as culture wars, right? This is not culture war. This is racism and bigotry, and we need to call it by its name and stop pretending that it's something else so that we can actually get to the business of dealing with it in the way that it needs to be dealt with. Exactly. And by dealing with it in the way it means to be dealt with, are we talking the ballot box? I mean, we're, you know, obviously it, it's it's all got to come down to beating them fair and square because we know, look, the guy who does Dilbert's going to help. Nick Fuentes is going to help. Donald Trump, these these public racists being objects of ridicule are going to help. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the work that you're doing and the work that other activists are doing of just ter- getting the voters to turn out. 
Well, it is certainly having a conversation with with people, right? There is a way in which, you know, folks are um, isolated and trying to understand what's happening in the country right now. You know, certainly racism is a top five issue concern for, for black voters. Um, in our research, for as long as we've been doing it, it is a top five issue concern along with the economy, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that we, you know, have to, um, certainly um, help people think through and process what's happening in the country. And I don't think that this is just about talking to black people about it because black people talk about racism all the time and what to do about it. Um, I think that this is a conversation that we need to be having um, across demographics, across race, across class, um, and and really thinking about, the, you know, when we look back to the summer of 2020 and that sort of, you know, um, staggering solidarity that we saw um, yes. in the face of police violence, that is really how Americans feel. Right? Like that, that was not a, you know, that was not something that, you know, was made up that we saw on television. That that was real. Um, and I think that we have to figure out ways to continue that conversation about what injustice looks like, um, to uh, have the conversation about how we can do better and be better as a country. And, and certainly, again, the ballot box matters in making sure that we, we are turning out voters but finding ways to have this national conversation um, about injustice and bigotry and racism um, and how it shows up um, in our classrooms, right, in our school districts, right, um, in our in our uh, state legislatures and, and governor's office. We have to talk about that. Right. Again, we have to name it. Um, we have to uh, explore what who we want to be and who we do not want to be as a nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to get about the business of being who we want to be. And I don't think that it's a country, you know, filled and led. Um, by bigots and racists. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank you again for all the work you and Black Pack did in making sure that Herschel Walker did not become a United <laughs> States senator. Thank you very much. I, I, how many how many doors did did you guys knock on in the state? Was it three million doors that were? Yeah, we, we we did it about three million door knocks. Um, you know. At, at, there for every election right now, I mean, we say this to people all the time that every election is important election and literally every every election is an existential election. Right. And so um, we've really tried to build an organization that has um, the capacity to 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 meet the moment. Right. To to get to the scale that's required to get to so that we literally are talking to almost every voter, having a conversation about the moment. Um, and, you know, in, in the case of elections, who who isn't isn't going to represent our best interests. So right. um, we're just happy that we could make a contribution um, along with our, our partners uh, in the state. Okay, Ms. Shropshire is being way too modest here. Uh, <laughs> black voters, for y'all know, for the for the for the uh, the runoff vote in Georgia, black voters represented thirty two percent of the overall early voting tally, a higher share of early voters than they had in the general election. I mean, yeah. that's just yeah. beautiful democracy that gives me hope for the future. But I, I Herschel aside, I, I want to ask you about. Um, the importance of uplifting the current black leadership in the Democratic Party. Uh, mm -hmm. As you know, black mayors are currently representing some of the biggest U.S. cities. Uh, mm -hmm. Wes Moore, the new governor of, of Maryland, is one of the most exciting people in politics right now. And I'm mm -hmm. curious, how do you think the Democrats should be shining a spotlight? To, oh, I'm sorry. And to say nothing of the new uh, the new leader of the Democrats in the House, uh, right. Leader Jeffries. So, I mean, how can the Democratic Party 
uh, work with and shine a spotlight on on their work as what really the future of America is going to look like. Well, it's interesting because, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, not not just some of the biggest cities in in America. Black mayors represent the biggest cities in America. Right. We have. Um, you know, Karen Bass, newly elected uh, uh, mayor in Los Angeles, Eric Adams, obviously, in New York, so, uh, Sylvester Turner in Houston, um, Lori Lightfoot for mm-hmm. a little bit longer um, in little Chicago, longer. And, and, and maybe Brandon Johnson, um, you mm-hmm. know, following her. Um, you know, when we think about various cities, St. Louis, San Francisco, New Orleans, Charlotte. Um, all run by black mayors. Yes, Hakeem Jeffries being elevated uh, for the first time. You have Joanna McClinton, who just became the first black woman speaker of the House in Pennsylvania. Um, Jamie Harrison, obviously running right. uh, the DNC and uh, obviously as president of the United States. So, you know, when we think about who the Democratic Party is, um, it's important. So it's a little hard to say, should the Democratic Party be working to elevate these people? Because the Democratic Party is literally being led um, by black political leadership right now. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think part of the, you know, the 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 um, the question is, you know, how do you ex- you know continue to expand diverse leadership uh, within the party? Obviously, voters are voting for diverse candidates, right? I think voters are looking for, um, you know, elected leaders who uh, understand the current moment that we're in, who can lead us into the future. Um, And so with that, you have black leaders being elevated both inside in terms of leadership positions, but also being elected, um, you know, into into uh, to uh, important um, uh, political uh, positions. Um, obviously, some challenges with statewide, <laughs> yeah. uh, with you know black candidates, like women in particular, winning statewide. Right? When we think about the opportunity to elect a black woman to the Senate, um, we failed to do so um, in 2022, and hopefully there'll be some opportunities going forward. But I think that it is those kinds of opportunities that the party has to think about. How is it supported? Um, you know, black and brown leadership um, and, and other other um, you know, kind of diverse candidates um, to to uh, to be able to compete at the statewide level, to be able to compete in governor's races. We have never had uh, a black woman governor um, of any state um, in the history of the republic. So I think it is that's where the party is going to need to lean in. Um, and I think it needs you know, like I think there is a there is a, a real it's really important for there to be sort of a reckoning with with who the Democratic Party is. It's not just that black people are the base and the backbone of the of the Democratic Party. Black people are 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 um, leading the Democratic Party. And it's important to acknowledge that, especially when we get, you know, hits, very, you know, the sort of attacks from Republicans and from the right wing, um, you know, saying black people are on, you know, a, a plantation or whatever that ignorance oh. is. The reality is that <laughs> Democratic Party curious. is an incredibly diverse party. And when it comes to black people, um, black people hold significant leadership positions and elected positions um, within within the party itself. Absolutely. But you I mean you you nailed it. That's that's the line that these Caucasians use on other Caucasians when it's only Caucasians around um, right. talking about this. This the, They don't even realize how offensive and vulgar and obviously 
people who defend the Confederate flag aren't going to find comparisons to slavery offensive and vulgar. But, you know, we point out all the time that on, on the Republican side, everything they accuse African-Americans of doing with the Democratic Party, oh, you've been brainwashed to thinking they work for you. That's mm-hmm. low income whites who still vote Republican after the last 40 decades. I'm sorry, sorry, the last 40 years. I, yeah. I mean, we were celebrating at the top of the show that after the swearing in of Jennifer McClellan, the first black woman to represent Virginia in Congress, that now there are 28 black women serving in the U.S. Congress. Considering that black women prop up this entire economy and keep this country from collapsing, it's not nearly enough, but it is the most we've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of, um, you know, historic games. I I do, you know, it it is, it's, and again, like, just going back to our conversation about Selma and, you know, are, are we, you know, do we say, you know, do, is it a celebration, right? Um, and then on the one hand, yes, it is. And on the other hand, it's also bittersweet. And I think that when we see, um, you know, Black Americans, uh, you know, moving into these leadership positions, it's certainly a reason to celebrate. But I, it, it does take, I am taken aback a little bit when I realized how many firsts there are, right? Um, in 2023, that we talk about the first, you know, Black woman, you know, from the state of Virginia or from the Commonwealth of Virginia, when we talk about Hakeem Jeffries being the first leader of, you know, a a caucus, when we talk about um, Karen Bass being the first, uh, you know, black woman, all of these things, it feels a little bit like, you know, we obviously these are incredible moments to celebrate, um, but that we are still talking about first, um, you know, feels like, um, you know, we need to we need to get a move on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a great it's a great point, especially because the Democratic Party does recognize, as you mentioned, how much they need black voters, which makes me want to ask you about your feelings on the party's push to move uh, the South Carolina primary to become the first presidential primary for the Democrats in mm. 2024. I mean, I've I've said for a while now that I have never seen an endorsement by a politician carry as much weight as Representative Clyburn's endorsement of Joe Biden in 2020. But I I mean, this is just a a clear sign of just how powerful the black voting bloc is to the entire Democratic Party. Well, I think that, you know, some adjustment needed to be done, um, obviously, um, to the the, the primary um, calendar. And I think that elevating South Carolina uh, was important um, in terms of, um, you know, acknowledging um, you know, the, the role that South Carolina played, um, in, in the last primary, but it's also the elevating of the other states as well, right? It is moving up Nevada, right? It is moving up Michigan, right? It is saying that we are a diverse party and that we need to hear, um, from our diverse voters, um, in our, in the, in, at the beginning, right at the front of, of the democratic, um, of, uh, primary, um, calendar. And I think mm-hmm. that that is an important, it is, a, you know, a, an important reality, right. And an important statement, um, to make it look, I, you know, <laughs> no one <laughs> for the foreseeable future, will be the Democratic nominee uh, for the presidency without Black voters. And so that's just a reality. 
Um, yep. And so it makes sense then that you would want to put some of the states first where you have a more devote, more diverse um, electorate, um, including, you know, in uh, uh, the um, uh, concentrations of, of black voters in those states. So South Carolina is important, but moving up the other states um, is is also important in terms of naming the broad tent that the, that the Democratic Party is um, and, and is, you know, it is evolving um, even more, right, in terms of um, how so and where people are moving and living. And, and I love Iowa. I love New Hampshire. But you're right. There is a, a certain kind of integrity and historical awareness to not want those two particular states to be the states that have the most power in picking who the Democratic presidential nominee is going to be. Those two states are wonderful. They don't always look like what America really looks like. That's right. They, they they don't. I mean, they're great states, I, you know, both of them. Sure. Um, but when, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, if we're, when we're trying to get a sense of who the, 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 the base of the Democratic Party or who Democratic voters, um, you know, want to put forward as their nominee, I don't think you can start in those places because it's not a reflection um, of who the Democratic Party is. Amen. So l- let me ask now, we're now getting ready for the presidential candidates, possibly from both parties to begin announcing their candidacies. It's all gearing up for 2024. I- I'm curious, what are you um, optimistic about? And what issue is going to be taking up most of your attention? What 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 issue is going to be chiefly on your radar? So, um, you know, I am really um excited about the kind of turnout that we saw from young people in the last cycle um across the board um and i think that there is you know when we talk about these issues and we talk about engagement um and particularly gen z uh, engagement and involvement um in our elections and just in the body politic right of of our country um this is really an exciting moment um to be honest uh, one of the things that i was saying when you know as i was having conversations about selma um and the you know the sort of multi-generational celebration that we saw down there when we have done research over time one of the things that's really that has been really fascinating to me is that there is this alignment um between gen z and the civil rights legacy generation around issues and around the intensity um around which they are concerned about particular issues and obviously racism and discrimination and voting rights is this issue that they are really aligned around in terms of both the, how it rates um, at the top of their their list of issues? Those two things, racism, discrimination, and voting rights, um, it it is at the top of their list in terms of what is motivating them to turn out and vote. Um, and it is, you know, the again the the you know one of the top issue concerns. And I thought about like, well, why is that? Like, we're not seeing that same level of alignment with millennials and and uh, Gen X, for example, right? Or right. millennials and the legacy generation. And it really strikes me that it is because you have this civil rights legacy generation that lived through the hundred years of darkness, right? That was Jim Crow. They beat back Jim Crow and the white right. supremacy that fueled it. And now you have this new generation that is coming of age during an era where white supremacy is ascendant, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're seeing vestiges of Jim Crow, um, not, you know, being read in the history books and hopefully they'll be able to be, but really 
um, happening right in their in their in their states and in their cities. And so there is this alignment, the generation that be back Jim Crow and the generation um, that is, is, you know, trying to not allow it to, you know, rear its 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 nasty head again. Um, and we see that in the way that they're showing up and participating, not just in, in the elections, but again, in the body politic of the country. And that includes the kinds of protests um, that we saw in 2020 and, and, and after. So I'm excited about that. Um, I do think that, you know, the this issue um, of racism and bigotry and um, the rise of white supremacy is the issue um, yes. that it infects almost every other conversation that we have, whether it's education or the economy or healthcare. There is this overarching issue, um, this question of um, when we think about how candidates are going to be talking during the presidential election, you know, we can look back to how they talked in in, in, in 19 and 20 um, during the, the, the primary um, season, um, at least on the Democratic side, where Democratic candidates under understood very well that they had to talk about how all of these dots are connected. So I don't know mm -hmm. that there's a single issue, but it really is, um, you know, the, the deep existential threat that the country is facing right now, the threat to our democracy, the growing um, sort of uh, division that is being driven by white supremacy, white supremacy and bigotry, um, and the disparities that are, that are really as the result of systemic racism. So I think that there is a way in which, um, you know, the the president and the vice president um, will need to go back to, you know, those sort of talking points about how are we connecting the dots, because those conversations actually build national unity. Um, and that is how they won last time. And I think for them, that is what they will need to do to win again. And it also combats what we're seeing on the other side. You described Ron DeSantis very well. The Trump uh, will be who he is. And all the other candidates, including Nikki Haley and others, will try and figure out how they sort of, you know, set battle up beside that kind of yep. racism um, and, and discrimination and division. Um, and so the way that, you know, the the, the president and the, the vice president will defeat that is by addressing it head on, you know, talking about what they're going to do for the American people, um, broadly speaking, but also not allowing us to go back to the dark years um, that, uh, you know, we have no business going back to. Well, at a, at a time now when just yesterday the Tennessee House representatives passed a bill that would allow county clerks to deny marriage licenses to same-sex couples, mm -hmm. interfaith couples, or interracial couples in the state mm -hmm. of Tennessee. In this century, I am so glad you are on the job. Adrian Tropshire is executive director of Black Pack. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Um, at Adrian Schropp on Twitter and um, Instagram. Brilliant. It's such a pleasure to have you back. Come back anytime. Really thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be your calls all the way till midnight on the East Coast. Our number is 866. Oh, yeah. Tennessee really did this yesterday. We'll be right back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. And we are back. So you remember last month? When the White House, or last week, really, when the White House was celebrating that drug maker Eli Lilly announced they were going to finally cap insulin at $35, and the White House bragged that it was Joe Biden who helped force the change because he doesn't have the House, but he has the bully pulpit. Back uh, last year in the Inflation Reduction Act, they agreed to cap insulin at $35 for Medicare recipients, but a proposal to limit it for all Americans was killed by the Republicans in the Senate. Axios just did a poll that showed 84% of Americans strongly or somewhat support placing a $35 per month limit on the out-of-pocket cost for insulin. 84%. 16% of Americans are depraved evil monsters, I guess that means. But Biden, tomorrow, is going to be releasing his budget plan. And you watch. He's going to use the release of it to pressure the Republicans to cap the cost of insulin at 35 bucks a month for all Americans. Now, we've talked a lot about how much is Biden going to pivot to the center, how moderate or conservative he's going to be. He's really running for reelection and he's been pissing off Democrats first on crime with D.C. Now on immigration, uh, you, you know, they're seriously considering whether to revive detentions of migrant families who enter the U.S. illegally. This is enraging Democrats, but this is how moderates anger liberals and get elected. I don't know if Biden's going to do that, but I know what he's going to do is lean into the Republicans and say, so let's do this. Let's make all insulin 35 bucks. And he's going to make it a campaign issue. And he's going to lay a trap for the GOP House majority and for Kevin McCarthy. Both sides are positioning themselves for a big showdown on spending in the debt ceiling. Joe Biden is going to use tomorrow's announcement of his budget to make every Republican go on the record about affordable insulin for Americans. I don't agree with everything, but I appreciate the smart politics of it. We will talk to you tomorrow on Sirius XM. Thanks to Adrian Shropshire. Thanks to Bob Seska, Thea Harper, and Chris Houseld. I'm John Fugel saying peace. <laughs>